0: Lights up on Washington Heights, up at the break of day, I wake going, up and bro. I got this little punk I gotta chase away. Pop the brake at the crack of dawn, sing while I wipe down the awning.
1: Hey y'all, good morning.
0: Ice cold piragua, palcha, china, cherry, strawberry, and just for today I got my mate.
1: Oye, piragüero, como está? Como siempre,
0: señor Usnabi. Ice cold piragua, palcha, ch- I am and you probably
1: never heard my name, reports of my fame are greatly exaggerated, exacerbated by the fact that my syntax is highly complicated, cause I immigrated from the single greatest little place in the Caribbean, Dominican Republic, I love it, Jesus, I'm jealous of it, and beyond that, ever since my folks passed on, I haven't gone back, oh damn, I gotta get on that, oh! Welcome to this week on Broadway for Father's Day, Sunday, June twentieth, two thousand twenty-one. My name is Matt Tamminen, and on the broadcast today, I am joined by Ashley Steves and Grace Aki. Ashley, Hello. good morning.
0: Good morning. Grace, good
1: morning, Grace. Hi. If you are tuning in, hoping to hear James, Peter, Michael at all, surprise, I'm, it's, not I'm, the, it's not them. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're getting the B team today. We're um, very much not them, uh, but. It, instead, the three of us in some configuration host Broadway Radios today on Broadway Monday through Friday, where we discuss the previous day's biggest theatrical news. If you are not a regular listener, you should tune in. We have fun. We we might be the B team, but we're the we're the fun team. And uh, for, for yourself, guys. I feel like yeah. the A team. Yeah, okay. we're the A team. Okay. I'm the Mister T and, and the you. A team. <laughs> okay. uh, well, you're way too young to understand that reference. So good for you. Um,
2: you always say that.
1: Well. It's true. Um, we Things are probably going to get even crazier as we work towards reopening, so you'll want to be in the know for all of that. But today, we will primarily be talking about two off-Broadway hits that transferred to Broadway and, as of the past month, have since been adapted into movies that are currently, as of right now, available to stream on HBO Max. As we do on Today on Broadway, the three of us will be having what we call a review roundtable. Uh, for the big screen adaptations of In the Heights and Oslo. It's similar to what James, Peter, and Michael do with their reviews here on This Week on Broadway, but we kind of format it a little differently. We will also be catching up on the latest Broadway reopening news, and Grace will give us a recap of this past week's Glimmer of Light concert, which was presented by Playbill at Radial Park. But, first, Grace, Ashley, this is Father's Day. So, so quickly, before we get into all of the other stuff, I want to know who your favorite Theatrical father is, and I prefaced oh, no. this when I sent you the text about this question. <laughs> yeah, because no. because we're, cause we're uh, terrible people. Because yeah. I asked father. Not daddy. So
0: yeah. who is your favorite theatrical oh, you ruined, father? ruined all my choices. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, I mean, Tevia is probably the top choice forever and ever. Uh, oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Tevia's up there. I'd say, you know, act two, Baker of Into the Woods. Mm-hmm. Marvin also act oh, two for falsettos. Yeah. I mean, father to son is one of the most beautiful theatricals theater songs ever written and yeah i love that and also i mean like wilbur turnblad that's that's pretty solid too
1: That's pretty solid i think grace what about you
0: um i think uh bruce
2: bechtel and fun home i was here that
0: too but i was like that's (laughs) that's that's kind of like that's a complicated one. my relationship
2: dad relationships are complicated (laughs) and literally the the year that my father passed away named bruce um two yeah. weeks later I saw fun home and I was like, this isn't fair. Uh, um, so I would say, I would say that. And then also the dad, um, and, uh, my fair lady, I think uh, was it was also, Alfie problematic. Alfie. also yeah. very problematic. Yeah, I love, love the problem fathers. Well, those are the ones I've seen the most real, uh, <laughs> <situations>. but yeah, <laughs> I would say, and then also earlier we, I referenced the dad and the humans because <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah, right. Jesus Christ.
2: Um, no, I think you're right on the money with Tevia being like the best MT dad to watch on stage for sure. I think that that's mm. the right answer. But I mainly mean mm. Danny Burstein. When we say when we say Tevya, we mean Danny Burstein. Yeah, of course.
1: Right? Of course. That's that gets into the daddy conversation.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> he posted a picture of his kids today. And I have to say, you guys, those kids look like Danny Burstein. I mean, true. there's no question. There's those no are his question. Children. Cute little Dannys. All
0: right.
1: That's all. Well,
2: Happy, Happy Father's Day, Danny. This was supposed Happy to be a Day nice,
1: Danny. fun uh, conversation. got a little creepy. So let's move on. <laughs> That's uh,
0: great. That's uh, grace. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: That's me, baby. Yeah. <laughs>
1: all right. So... Um, after a year of pandemic-related delays, the film adaptation, directed by John M. Chu of Lin-Manuel Miranda and Kiara Alegria Hootie's Tony-winning musical In the Heights, was released earlier this month. If you are comfortable in doing so, it is still showing on the big screen at movie theaters across the country and around the world, and it is available to stream on HBO Max through July 11th. Afterwards, it's going to... Go away from the service before returning with all of these weird movie contracts and stuff like that. Now, as Grace and I discussed on Today on Broadway last week, there has been a fairly sizable controversy surrounding the film's principal casting, which we will Mm -hmm. get into in our discussion, but... Before we do that, I want to check in with the two of you and get your thumbnail reviews of Mm. what you thought of the adaptation. Just a few sentences in general. Ashley, let's go ahead and start with you.
0: Okay. I mean, I've seen it twice, so I feel like in like one day after the other. Like what the first time I watched it was on HBO Max at night, and then I Halfway through, I bought a ticket to see it in a theater because it's it's one of those movies. I feel like, I, as you said, like you have to be, you should be comfortable seeing it in a theater and not like feel pressured to do it. But it's such a theater movie, it's such a summer movie. I thought, I thought it was beautiful. I loved it. I'm gonna watch it so many more times. Yeah. Grace, what about
1: you?
2: Uh, I mean, yeah, it's so funny because I thought this was the most joyful return to a movie theater that I've ever had. I mean, I've never been in a pandemic, but if I could do it again, I would definitely say that that was that was the movie. (laughs) I mean, that was the movie that I was like, oh, my God. And I was reunited with all of my um, like literally my best friend group is Venezuelan and Honduran immigrants. And seeing the show with them was so kukuluku fun because they were screaming at certain Easter eggs that I had no idea what they were talking about. So I I thought it was the best uh, way to come back to the movie theater. And the fact that it was John Chu directing and also just a musical that has a place in everybody's heart. They did not disappoint at all. We will talk more about it. But I have to say, like, I was so shocked at how pleasantly surprised I was at how much I loved it
1: yeah mm-hmm. for for longtime listeners to my podcasts whether it's been this or 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 what's the other one I used to do? oh uh, some like it pop you'll know in the Heights has been like one of my favorite musicals since it came to Broadway in 2008 so I was predisposed to kind of love this film and for me while it wasn't perfect I don't think that they nailed necessarily all of the changes that were made for the adaptation but like you guys said it was so joyous and it was colorful and <clears> unapologetically <throat> a big fancy movie musical I couldn't help but yeah. love it. So um, I'm with you. I've seen it both on... Uh, you know the screen via HBO Max, um, and also on the big screen as well. So, um, so we all seem to be on agreement there. So we'll get into some of the weeds here, but I want to start with the central casting as Usnavi, mm. our narrator and central character, Hamilton alum Anthony Ramos, who actually also played Usnavi in Washington D.C. as uh-huh. well. Yeah, he took over the role that was originated by Miranda um, as his crush, and as of this film, I guess aspiring fashion designer Daniela is played by Melissa Barrera, who who was the star of the much heralded cable series Vita Um, as -hmm. the Barrios resident genius returning from her freshman year at Stanford. Three time Latin Grammy nominee Leslie Grace makes her professional acting debut as Nina. And as her, I guess, sometimes boyfriend and also dispatcher for her father's cab company, Benny, is stage and screen star Corey Hawkins, who is likely the best known of those four uh, principals and essential two uh, couples. He was uh, kind of best known for playing Dr. Dre in 2015, Straight Out of Compton, and he was one of the, the stars of Spike Lee's Black Klansmen. He, of course, has also appeared on Broadway as Tybalt in Romeo and Juliet, and he was nominated for a Tony uh, for playing Paul. In this most recent uh, nice. revival of Six Degrees of Separation, I do so,
0: think you said yeah. uh, Daniela mm-hmm. and yeah. Vanessa, but. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's, yeah, yeah. Let's, From Melissa, just, yeah. Just to point that out. <laughs> yeah. I was in the middle as, of the text. <laughs> as Rob Johnston has pointed out in the chat. Yes, uh, thank you. Oh, it,
1: Rob. Uh, (laughs) yes you're right Daniela uh, was played by the great Daphne Rubin Vega who has been a guest of mine on tell me more but we don't need Uh to get into that Uh, so Ashley (laughs) what did you think about the casting and the performances of these two central couples
0: um so I overall I really enjoyed the performances I would say I had my I definitely saw flaws more in the women's performances than anything. I thought Anthony Ramos was incredible. I thought he was a great, was Navi. Um, and I honestly, I, you know, I've never seen In the Heights on stage. I've listened to that oh. cast recording to death. I know you're like the resident In the Heights obsessive here for Stan, sure. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I've never seen it on stage. I've you know I've listened to the cast recording to death and read it to death, but I've never seen it actually performed. But you know, even listening to the cast recording and hearing Lynn. In his performance, I was much more convinced by Anthony Ramos than I have been with Lynn. Um, and I'm, you know, that ends up happening a lot and ended up kind of happening in Hamilton as well, just as a consequence of it being his baby. Uh, but overall, I, I, Loved the casting at surface level, obviously, we'll talk about the colorism controversy and everything and get into that. But you know, on a surface level, I enjoyed all the performances in the movie i in found very little to you know very very few faults with them,
1: yeah, I think both um Melissa Barrera and leslie grace they. It had a little bit more of a pop sound than the traditional you yeah. know, Broadway sound that we're used to from the cast album. Which, Although Melissa Barrera is a musical theater person, um, but it was fine. Like, I think it works not well. Yeah, yeah which
0: I, is not surprising because you're also I mean, it's, you know, it's a musical theater adaptation, but you're still yeah. trying to market it to a mass audience. Yeah. So you're going to try and lose some of that theater sound, that yeah. typical theater sound as much as possible to do that. Yeah, so and, it made sense to me. Yeah,
1: and and even though um uh, uh Corey Hawkins is a mm-hmm. theater guy, like he's not a musical theater guy. I no. was I was really impressed with him vocally, Grace. Like that was kind of a surprise for me.
2: Oh God, he was fantastic. I was like, yeah, I, I agree with you. I was like, okay, go off. Like, I was mad that there were certain, like, Sunrise wasn't in there. And I was just like, God, I
0: would love to hear you kill it on all these songs. Fantastic. That's definitely a thing for me And mentioning that that was cut. I I feel like a lot of my problems with the casting, or not even my problems with the casting, but, you know, a few of my problems with the performance is in some of those cuts. It's just like, Mm. it, it didn't feel as expansive as it should have been. And because of that, I feel like the performances didn't really get, to where they needed to be
2: but but I will say I did enjoy the fact that their that their storyline was not are they going to have sex
0: right <gasps> right yeah they're
2: going to have sex like that wasn't a plot point you know what I mean and so like yeah. I agree with you but then at the same time I was like I'm glad that these women, like, weren't their conquests. Like, it wasn't, like, but yeah. that wasn't part of the storyline where I feel like when I see the show, normally it's like, well, they, won't they? Will they kiss? Will they spend the night? Like, that's yeah. their story. So it becomes, I
0: appreciated it, that. It, there's the romance of it. Yeah. I mean, it's a very romantic story in general, especially. I mean, it's a love letter to New York and the Heights to begin with. So it's overall an incredibly romantic story. Pla- you know, musical and movie for that matter. Yeah. But you're you're right. Like that isn't the primary focus, which is honestly very refreshing. Yeah, right, right.
1: right. Well, the the two main couples, I think, obviously are the central thing, and I, I agree. I think Anthony Ramos is an absolute star, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think. We might lose him as a theater community because I feel like he's going to have a ton of movie and TV roles. Obviously, his fiance um, Mm -hmm. is turning into a pretty big Emmy-winning TV star as well. Um, So we will see if we get either of them back on a New York stage anytime soon. But let's talk about the rest of, of this cast. And I think we have to start with the only member of the original Broadway production who is returning to the role that they originated originated, and that is uh, Olga Merediz as mm-hmm. Abuela Claudia, Ugh. who was yeah. obviously the heart of the stage show. But kind of with this, more than I actually anticipated, has kind of turned. Out to be the breakout star even more than Ramos. Like when we're talking about this mm. in the non-theatrical sphere, like I keep hearing buzz about Olga potentially getting nominations even more so than Anthony. Um, the role yeah. of Abuela Claudia, like her storyline has changed a little bit um, in, this, uh, in, in this film adaptation, but obviously mm. one that still hits uh, some of the same emotional notes that it does on stage. Um Grace what what did you think of her performance and especially her big musical number, which has been kind of turned into a much different experience than it is on stage in Pacencia Fe.
2: Okay. What's funny is that I literally had the flippy flop of that. I felt as though <laughs> when she's on stage and she's in that role, I felt like it had a, a bigger impact for some reason than yeah. the film. So yeah. I, no, yeah, I, I let hear me, you. Saying, no, yeah. I agree.
1: I think, I think the, the, the way her storyline plays out on stage it, it impacted me much more. But yeah. I think for the larger public, like her performance has had a bigger impact ah. on the discussion. Than, than anybody else. This is what I meant. I'm yeah. sorry for not being yeah.
2: No, no, no. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Yeah, I've definitely seen that. Like Olga, Olga, Olga. Like everybody is kind of like freaking out about like this because again, like they don't recognize her as a film star. And my, hopefully, you know, that's that's my interpretation of it. Um, Like the same way with like Mark Antony popping up. It was just like, oh, you're here. Okay. Bizarre. Yeah. It was absolutely wild. <laughs> Honestly I bizarre. I don't know a single person that wasn't, that didn't audibly go, Mark Antony?
0: Yep.
2: <laughs> I like, yep. check on JLo. Um, no, it's, it's been, it's <laughs> been fine. crazy, but I think, I think she's okay. Um, no, but I agree with you. Like she, um, she really, uh, has popped off, especially on the interwebs, but, um, yeah, I felt like, uh, the performance, For some reason, even though we get to see more of her because it's a film, I feel like the impact is better on stage.
1: Yeah, and in the chat here, uh, Rob, even though I got mad at him earlier, I apologize, (laughs) Rob. um, He (laughs) brings up something that I was going to talk about um, a little bit later, but he says that he wishes that her death, um, Abuela Claudius, was part of the impetus for Nina to go back to school Mm, like it is on stage. And I feel like there was a lot robbed in her dying, I guess, spoiler alert, um, but she dies um, because... We don't really get a real sense. And that was one of the things that I had a problem with in these changes is with her not revealing that she won um, the lottery. Part of the reason why we are led to believe that she dies in the stage show is because her and Usnavi are worried about people coming in and breaking in and and stealing things and potentially losing Mm. that money. And when Usnavi says she died from a combination of the heat and the stress... In the film, we don't really see much stress going on. We see the heat, but like it's a party at her house beforehand. Like everybody comes there during the blackout. So that does change a little bit of the story for me. And I'm not exactly sure when we find out that she dies on stage and Usnavi is the one who tells us. Um, like I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Like it's just devastating for here. To me her dying was not what was devastating it was her performance which was devastating mm-hmm. yeah. which in the stage it's, show does not lead directly into her death so yeah and it's obviously very different that whole scene is beautiful i think it's a it's an yeah. absolutely inspired way to tell the story in that song
0: honestly stunning and i was going to ask yeah. cuz i don't i didn't know how that was staged like i, I don't know what bark. that looks like on stage yeah. okay. it's a yeah. park
1: and bark. So it, it's just it was a little different the 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 visuals of that. And I think we talked about it. I think, Ashley, you and I talked about it where our friend Ashley Lee in the L.A. Times, she wrote kind of a behind the scenes Q&A about that number. And it's fantastic. Mm. It was in this week on Broadway at some point. Um, but that kind of disappointed me a little bit because I love that character. And I think she gets a lot to do in this film. But it the emotional impact of it, I think, was a little different um, for me than it should have been. But let's talk about some of these other folks who were in the cast. Obviously, Grace mentioned uh, Mark Anthony kind of showing up for one scene. <laughs> Looked very sickly. He, I, he needs a hamburger. I, I don't know what's going on there. Um, but, I think he'll be okay. I yeah, think he's fine. Yeah, his millions of dollars will be fine. Uh, Daphne Ruben Vega, as we mentioned uh, earlier, oh. plays Daniela as uh the 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 owner of the salon. It, I guess her girlfriend in this, um, adaptation is Carla, which was, did not happen in the stage show. That was played by a much different Stephanie Beatrix than she plays in Brooklyn Nine Nine, which is fun. <laughs> They've added a new, um, salon girl or salon woman, um, Kuka, played by Brooklyn, by, um, uh, Orange is the new Black's Dasha Polanco. We're going to talk about yeah. her in a second. Mm. Um, and then, uh, Noah Katali as Graffiti Pete. Um, we see little cameos from Chris Jackson and some other mm-hmm. original Doreen. in the Heights folks. Doreen, Doreen Montalvo, yeah, Doreen. um, Javi Munoz and Seth Stewart, the original Graffiti Pete show up as well. But the one I want to start with is Gregory Diaz the fourth, who plays Sonny, um, the cousin mm-hmm. of Usnavi who helps him oh, run. Yeah. He was 16 at the time of filming, I believe absolutely (laughs) phenomenal that kid's amazing now he's like taller than everybody has a deeper voice than everybody it's really funny (laughs) to see him do interviews but really really uh a great performance from at the time a, a young kid Ashley
0: yeah he was absolutely a breakout for me I every time he was on screen I loved watching him I just like really for someone so young it's always refreshing to see like them really put their heart and soul into something like he went Completely all in in that role, and it was just a delight to watch.
1: Yeah, and it was fun. Like his character is fun. He they added this uh, this plot line about um, him being um, undocumented and the right. dreamers and all that stuff, which yeah. I guess kind of takes the place of what Rob was talking about a second ago in the chat. That um, Abuela's death is part of the motivation for Nina to go back to Stanford. Yeah. In this, it was Nina wanting to make a difference for. People, not necessarily just dreamers, but, but for, um, Latin and Hispanic people, that was kind of her motivation. Um, Grace, what did you think of not just, um, Gregory Diaz, the forest portrayal of Sonny, but the rest of this, um, really, really fantastic <laughs> ensemble? had
2: like no notes i was like okay yeah i don't think that i could have (laughs) picked that better i mean daphne daphne is forever like an inspiration for just yeah she's an icon and Mm. like her work so i was i was glad to be like yeah suck it adaptation of rent like you know she's getting her she's getting her (laughs) flowers now i'm so happy about it but gregory i uh, as sunny i was he grew on me i will say that because initially i was like ah they just picked this kid like I don't know. And then throughout the movie, I went, okay, this is what happens when you prove somebody wrong, hardcore, because that performance was absolutely stellar. And I, I can't wait to see what he does. Like that was, that was one of the most, you're totally right, Ashley, like a breakout performance Mm -hmm. where I was like, I would like to see more of your work. Like I'm, I think we're going to see him on stage in a year uh, in New York. Like there's no question. Uh, Yeah. So
1: He he would be a great, um, person to take over the track that anthony originated in hamilton you know as philip oh, hamilton oh, lawrence. And, and lawrence like yeah like that would actually be uh, kind of interesting when I mean, we've seen jordan fisher in that role uh-huh, um uh-huh. as you know kind of the younger kid but um, oh, yeah. But yeah, we also did not mention either Jimmy Smits, who's making his musical <laughs> debut as far as I yeah. know. Um, also, Patrick Page. Pat Page! Page. Uh, Pat, the hu-
0: Pat Page! Pat
1: the, the husband of Paige Page. Paige Page, Page, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and of course, Lin-Manuel Miranda's parents um, make a cameo appearance. Yeah, yeah. Um, Valentina, uh, the drag queen, um, uh. also makes an appearance as one of the patrons in Daniela's salon. So um, lots of great stuff. Lots of little Easter eggs. um Tons of fun, but the thing got that that re-
0: po- that, that post credits like Marvel, mm-hmm. yes, with, with <laughs> too. <Lay and> <laughs> Jackson. Very cute. Yeah,
1: but the thing that I loved the most about this film, and I alluded to to it earlier, is this direction from John M. Chu, who is known yeah. best, I think, for Crazy Rich Asians. He did two of the the Step Up sequels. He's also yeah. been tabbed as the next director in the upcoming adaptation of Wicked. But it was this film that yeah. was I loved the fact that. In this story that is about, and Ashley, as you said, a love letter to Washington Heights, it was filmed primarily, most of these scenes mm-hmm. happened outdoors. And as we know, yeah. it, it filmed over the summer of 2019. Yes. Actually, in Washington Heights, mm-hmm. it was colorful. It not was...
0: confirm I was living there at the time. Yeah. You heard yeah. it all the time. <laughs> yeah, and,
1: and the West Side Story revival was over like two blocks away too. Yeah. I know so um, lots of, but I love that it was it was outdoors. It used natural sunlight. It was bright. It was colorful. Um, it was just really yes. joyful. Yeah, and I and I love the fact that a lot of the musical numbers happened outdoors as well, which I think really brings some authenticity to this story about this neighborhood where you're getting to see all these people Coming together in a way that is that we think of as being very collaborative from a mm-hmm. theatrical sense, but also I think adds a lot more depth to this idea of this neighborhood being a real community and not yes. just a place where people live. Um, Ashley, for you, what was your favorite musical number in the whole oh my God. film? Ninety
0: six <laughs> thousand. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not even. Yeah. and that
1: was, I believe, and I think there might have been some. It's
2: in the heights as yeah, well. Yeah,
1: there's some yeah. movie trickery done in there as well, but it was was filmed at the public pool in Washington Heights. We get um, I think they had like three days to film it there. They do some really old school
0: very long days too. One of my friends was the second second AD on that film and she would just be like we have like 12 hour days and then she would still go home and like listen to it again because that's how amazing it was. Yeah
1: and there's a few scenes in there where you can tell like there's some green screen action going on Anthony's in front of a green screen but either way Way. There's like yeah. some incredible Busby Berkeley style um, stuff in there, but what was it about that one that that w- stood out for you, Ashley?
0: Well, first of all, it was just incredibly shot in every way, and I think that's just and especially a testament to Chew. I mean, everyone loved Crazy Rich Asians for good reason. It was so beautiful. I'm I'm so glad you mentioned about how bright and colorful it was because yeah. we've just had so many mu- musical adapta- adaptations to film that's been like that. You know, I, I especially think of like in, Into the Woods of like that
1: Disney gray. Oh, I think we've These got three like, more coming up this year they are going to be like that Yeah,
0: too. they're all going to look like that. So it's just really, you know, having this as you said, all these scenes shot outdoors and really making the neighborhood a character because it is, it's the main Mm -hmm. character of the show. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: And having these very, um, you, you, you recognize everything that you see, especially if you've looked there, everything that pops up in the movie, it's like, ah, oh, yes, that's, that's my neighborhood. That's my neighborhood. And to have all of that, just like so bright and colorful and vibrant, it really emphasized that to me of how, how important and how much of a love letter that was. I mean, I think that really came across in 96,000. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's the most vibrant scene in the movie. Um, and I I I just thought it was so beautiful. I was watching it, I cried the whole time. I was <laughs> the first time that I saw it when I was watching it on HBO Max. It was just like
1: weeping the whole time through it. Yeah, Grace, um, I assume ninety-six based off your reaction, ninety six thousand is also your favorite.
2: Well, it It was, but I will have a different answer because it's that kind of a show. You're a professional, thank you. (laughs) I'm a professional. Um, I have to say that when the sun goes down, uh, just Uh, watching them do those stunts, like there's a behind the scenes videos that John Chu like, you know, mm-hmm. I think he tweeted it out and um, the way that they manipulated that set piece and the green screen because they yeah, we're right. Like they do utilize the heights so much throughout the film that there's no question. It's not like, you know, they're making us think that it's that, but they're at a sun studio a lot in L.A. Yeah. Like this was this was a moment where they kind of did they- that thing, but it was so stunningly beautiful. That's mm-hmm. that's when I cried again because I was like. That's what I want for musical theater films. I want to feel like that. I want to feel like this every time. And I don't feel like that with Hairspray. I don't feel like Mm -hmm. that, you know, with certain movies that I'm like, oh, my God, everybody's freaking out. And I'm like, but I don't feel like it's as beautiful. You know what I mean? Like this was this was something that I was like, okay. John Chu needs to direct every musical movie
0: from now or, or I just be like, really hopeful about I mean, Wicked I mean, Whatever yeah, it actually I'm shows up like 10 years later. That's the thing though, like there's such a difficult balance, especially for musical theater adaptations yeah. of like finding, you know, both the playful and the serious. And I think mm-hmm. there's like such interesting choices, you know, in the good, interesting, not like hmm interesting, <sighs> especially like 96,000 when they were doing like, you know, yeah. the CGI had had there. <laughs> yeah. And then, as you just mentioned, like all the stunts that were in that scene, I was just, I, I thought the balance of everything there was, you know, he, they nailed it.
1: Well, and I think, you know, in in musical theater... Th- that is probably the least literal medium in performing arts uh, that you can have because it's literally people bursting out in song and dancing and we're just supposed to pretend that it's natural. Film, (laughs) on the other hand, is the most literal because it is – direct they want it to look naturalistic very rarely do we see um impressionistic or or you know outside the box stuff from films and i think that's probably the issue with a lot of movie musicals they try to you know, make excuses for the singing, and they try to make it more about what a movie normally is. I feel like John leaned into the yes. the playfulness and the absurdity of the musical theater, like the animation mm-hmm. that he does um, in ninety six thousand with like the 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 stuff where they're doing like the semi rap battle and, at the beginning as they're yeah. walking to the pool. Um, like that's very cool. Um, I loved the. Um, you know kind of the little moments that was very and i i'm stealing this from npr pop culture happy hour but like um (laughs) you know with this frame story that they give us for this movie which we haven't talked about yet um, which is a little bit of a swerve which I appreciated um, but there's like this scene that is very Spike Lee-esque where <laughs> they run through this list of of uh, Latina heroes oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. that, that seemed very much, Grace you and I have talked a lot about our yeah. love for Do the Right Thing yeah. and <laughs> that felt yeah. very much like a cutaway scene in a Spike Lee movie um, So, but it was not trying to just be this straightforward narrative. Um, and whether that was the visuals, whether that was the animation, whether that was, um, the direct address to the camera, which happened, you know, a number of times. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say the one time that I don't think it worked is at the very, very end. And it's not necessarily yep. a direct address. Yep. The, um, little yep, girl, of us. the little girl, the little girl looking into the camera, it kind of gave me like children of the corn omen vibes. It was a little weird. <laughs>
2: okay. Um, <laughs> well, she is a new cast member so. on Sesame street. So you take it oh,
0: back. Oh, um, that's adorable. Sorry. Yeah, no, but she was great
1: otherwise, but like, uh, You know, I I think overall the film worked for me on so many levels. But as we mentioned earlier, there has been a considerable amount of pushback on the film due to the fact that, as Ashley, you know, having lived there, you know, Washington Heights is a home of a rather large population of Afro Latinx people. But none of the principal cast were Afro-Latin American. Lin-Manuel Miranda issued a statement, which Grace read on Today on Broadway earlier this week. Um, but this has brought up discussions of colorism, which have been, you know, until now, kind of just a small part of the representation discussions that we've been having in regards to film and TV and theater over this past year. Um, Grace, we didn't get into it too, too much on the show because we knew we were going to yeah. talk about it here today. But in general, mm-hmm. what were your thoughts on, on on this whole debate that we've seen pop up over the last week or so?
2: Well, OK, I'll start by saying this. I'm predominantly white passing Japanese American girl Weighing in on this colorism thing about our yeah. Latina people. So I just want to and, throw that And out. the other two yeah.
0: of us are white. So yes. let's, let's, first of all, let's make that, you let's know,
2: preface. let's preface that. Because um, I, I think this discussion is worth having, but I also want to say that um, I, I appreciated that in Lynn's statement, he did note that the fact that there's so much more to learn and, and you know, th- we love all that. Right. Um, but also mm. like he wrote it to be seen. Then he felt seen. Yep. Finally, he felt seen. And then there are more people that are part of this community that also want to feel seen, and they should feel seen. You know what I mean? I think that it's mm-hmm. all of it's worth validating. I had a conversation with someone um, who I'm not going to name, but was in this film who is Afro-Latinx, and at, actually at the Glimmer of Light parade, and we were talking about how great it was to see them on screen and dancing, and she was talking about how hurt she was that there's all this pushback about the colorism thing because Mm -hmm. she was so proud to see herself on screen. And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden people are like, Oh, there wasn't enough. And she was like, but I was there. I did it. Mm. And so it kind of, it kind of broke my heart to hear it on this other scale. You know what I mean? To, to see like, oh, yeah. she finally saw herself and, and then people still are trying to tear it down. And so I think that it's, it's worth noting all these conversations are important. And I think that this is the future. The fact that we're even here having that conversation it's is, nice. is, is awesome. Right. Saying like, okay, now what? Now, now we can do this, you know, like let's let's pay attention to the fact that all of the people that were chosen for this and predominantly are chosen in a lot of these castings are uh, like, you know, biracial people or people that don't have as deep a melanin as someone else. And so, you know, what is that saying? Why are why are we scared to do that? That's Mm -hmm. kind of ridiculous. Uh, So, yeah, like I think that um, I think it's 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 glad I'm glad that we're talking about it. But I also want to note that. There were people involved that really were excited about the fact that they were going to be represented on screen. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's,
1: yeah. I guess that's where I can leave. It. I mean, for me, the whole thing just makes me sad and, and a little confused, to be honest with you, because mm-hmm. I don't think that Lynn or Kiara, who are the top listed executive producers on uh-huh. the film, or John Chu, um, are acting maliciously to prevent. Afro-Latinx actors from you know getting these roles, but you do have to kind of wonder how this wasn't anticipated at some point. And I actually think it Definitely. kind of was, which I'll get to in a second. But uh, like you were talking about Greece, the dancers and the extras were people of all different colors, shapes, sizes, ages. So they obviously made a a concerted effort to get people into the film that look like real people who live in Washington Heights. So I do wonder why that diversity didn't translate to the principles, although they are all obviously in very good shape and very attractive, which is always going to be the case in these movies pretty much. Um, But it does make me sad that this will now be a part of, and unfortunately perhaps even the largest part of this film's legacy. And I don't think it needed to be that way. This should be a celebration of major representation, and I think in many ways it still is, Um, and it should have been a celebration of a joyful, bright, movie musical, and these Mm -hmm. very legitimate concerns, as you said, Grace, have kind of overshadowed that, and that disappoints me. Um, I do think, though, it's important to mention that Dasha Polanco, who plays that new character, Kuka, who was added to the film, she does identify as Afro-Dominican, so Mm -hmm. that character does literally nothing for the entire film, Um, so I I don't (laughs) know why it was added other than perhaps they thought hey maybe we know who we want to be all these parts if i remember correctly she was one of the last cast members added i wonder Mm -hmm. if maybe they saw this concern coming and they brought her in as i don't know if that's the case
2: on stage there were other salon girls so i just feel like this one was just named to be frank Yeah, yeah i don't think that it was it wasn't like they needed to add another person there's always three salon girls usually and tell me something i don't know
1: yeah but they, no, they, they're they, they kind of
2: named them
1: no they're they're daniella they're yeah. um Oh, who is uh uh? They're Daniela, Carla, and uh-huh. Vanessa. I think is just the three of them. Um, so I think that's just the three salon girls in in the stage show. Again, been a few years since I've seen I don't it.
0: No, I feel like I feel like this is a, a separate third, and I think Grace is right. I yeah. think it's just not a named, like overtly named yeah. character.
1: Yeah, I don't know, but either way. Um Maybe. Ashley, what are your thoughts on how this has all played out over the past <laughs> week or so?
0: Um first of all, I don't know if I would agree with you that they saw this coming. Um
1: I don't either. That was just a get- that was just a hypothesis.
0: Yeah, I mean th- In watching, I think it was The Root that released the video that that really started the conversation um, as far as Afro-Latinx people not being included in the principal cast of the movie. Um, And just like kind of watching the interviews, it felt like there wasn't it it felt like it wasn't anticipated like there needed to be some media training there for sure what i will say i think that this has been a really all or nothing conversation um there's been such major pushback against lynn especially and you know I, i primarily cover casting like that's my day job i write for backstage and my beat is casting and I, the casting company for this movie is Telsey and Company, who is a primarily <laughs> yeah, white organization. Uh, oh, I'm so, taking myself out of this Telsey conversation. Yeah, good, I have yeah. to. I, yes, you must. <laughs> um, so to to really push it all, I, you know, obviously, Lynn has a say, John Chu has a say, um, but it still comes down to the casting company and it still comes down to Hollywood as a whole. You are going to, you know, Matt, as you said, the principal's were attractive in shape um and for that matter y- you know light skinned that's such a hollywood thing uh that's I, I do not wanna, necessarily I do point a out, musical thing
1: yeah i do mm-hmm. want to point out though in this conversation that uh cory hawkins in the yeah, character of yeah, yeah, yeah. benny is yes. a black man as the character Correct. always is he is Correct. um a dark skinned black man as well he is yes. you know so i think Correct. that that's something that is part of the conversation in this even though i haven't really seen definitely that was- referenced as well
0: yeah definitely was gonna say that uh, um but it's i have to say like the it's been kind of disheartening to me And then the kind of cap of it all is Rita Moreno's comments to Colbert About like, wait your turn And she's walked that back a bit Which, thank goodness for that Because I didn't want to spend my week Mad Rita Moreno Or ever Um I I feel like what Grace said of like, people are really excited to see themselves on screen and that's a great thing. And what's the next step there? Like how do we get darker skinned people into lead roles? How do we get Afro Latinx people into lead roles? And what is that going to look like for Hollywood as a whole? What is that going to look like for casting agencies as a whole and how they kind of reform it? We've talked a lot, especially on today on Broadway over the last year um, about you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and kind of how that is shifting the conversations. And a lot of things have been like empty platitudes as we're kind of witnessing. Um, that has to extend to film too. And I feel like the platitudes have been there more for theater, not that, you know, they've done anything yet because we haven't really opened. Um, but, I would say as a whole for like the film industry, we're not really seeing that as much as we're seeing like theater companies saying, oh, yeah, we have to do better. We have to do better. We have to do better. The next the next thing is, you know, how do we do better? And I feel like the conversation has really kind of gone there with this movie. I don't think it will be this movie's legacy. I hope not. no, I, and I really don't. I feel like, like I said, I think everything's been really all or nothing. And I feel like that's just kind of like how social media reacts to things anyway. Um, we'll have this conversation for a bit. We should have this conversation for a bit. I think it's incredibly important. I think casting agencies as a whole in Hollywood and in theater because there's like three casting agencies in all they theater.
1: Suck. They also
0: <laughs> they're not great. Um, and that's that's a consistent thing. That's this yeah. is always happening. You know, we've talked about in the past of like the paper bag test and everything. That's still pretty much happening, especially when you look at principal and lead roles. Yeah.
1: All right, Well, let's wrap up the discussion of In the Heights by just saying, uh, Ashley, Grace, is there anything else that we did not hit on that you want to have said for your thoughts on the In the Heights film adaptation?
2: I don't know if uh, you two knew, but I'm going to let the listeners know right now. Did you Mm. know that John Chu's son is named John Heights Chu because he was born while they were filming it and was like, I want to name my child this?
1: (laughs) I did not. That makes me very excited.
2: And his daughter's name is Willow, like the movie Willow. I'm just saying, oh it's Which adorable. Get-
1: Willow is getting a, uh, Disney Plus. a Disney Plus reboot or not reboot, but like a yeah. series uh, yeah, following yeah. up that iconic uh, Val Kilmer piece uh, from the 80s. <laughs> but yeah. anyway. All right. Well, let's take a real quick break before we get into the rest of our show to talk about our sponsor, ExpressVPN. As I've talked about over the past week, I have always felt like somebody who understood technology, who I was kept (laughs) up with what was going on with technology. But the older I get, the more difficult it has been for me to keep up with changes on the online, especially when it comes to safety. I had a conversation with uh, my former Broadway World colleague, Al Henry, this past week, and they kept telling me, oh, you have to use something to generate passwords. You can't have the same password for everything. This is a legit Real conversation that we had this week. You can uh, tweet them and ask if you don't believe me. Um, But one of the things that I have been doing, especially since they've become a sponsor here on Broadway Radio, is using ExpressVPN to keep me safe um, while I'm online and to prevent other people from being able to see and understand what I'm doing online, to use it against me or to be able to sell those things uh, to other people who will then in fact use it against me.
2: Yeah, it's very creepy. I don't appreciate it. Like every internet provider, you know like you know Verizon, Comcast, whomever, your your grandma's Wi-Fi like they know they know where you've been. they know what you're clicking on and they know what you're searching, which I, I don't always need you to know that I'm watching season two, that one episode of Fleabag. I don't need you to know. Um, I didn't realize that ISPs can sell your information to ad companies and tech giants and all these people who can use your data to target against you. And that's why, like Matt, I'm glad you said that because I think that we forget that they do this all the time.
1: Yeah, and as somebody who has previously worked in uh, digital media advertising, I can confirm that that is done all the time. But when it comes to saying staying secure online, ExpressVPN is your absolute best option, which is why it's the number one rated VPN by CNET, Wired, The Verge, This Week on Broadway, Today on Broadway, Broadway Radio, all the Broadway Radio stuff. Um, It creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device, whether that's a phone, laptop, tablet, smart TV, even a router, and the rest of the World Wide Web so that no one else can see what it is that you are doing online.
2: Yeah, I feel like with all the data mining in the world, ExpressVPN actually keeps me protected. Like, I have I have had my data compromised before. It's horrible. And being protected by a VPN like ExpressVPN is so important to my online security.
1: So secure your online activity by visiting expressvpn.com slash Broadway and do it today. <laughs>
2: That's EXPRESSVPN.com slash Broadway Radio, and you can get an extra three months for free.
1: One more time, that's expressvpn.com slash Broadway Radio. All right. So before we get into our conversation about Oslo, which I promise will not be nearly as long as our conversation about In the Heights, (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to run through um, what's going on on the main stem as we've gotten a few bits of information about shows um, this past week. We have heard that Book of Mormon will, in fact, be coming back later this fall. The the press release did not necessarily mention any edits, but I from everything we've heard, there will be changes yeah. to this show, they, which they is see yeah, allegedly, yeah, which is why it's not coming back in September. Even though I think it probably would have sold really well, I think they're going to be doing some sort of reading process or workshop process to make sure that those changes all work. We've heard that the Lin Manuel Miranda um, inspired and created group Freestyle Love Supreme will be coming back to Broadway for a fall run, and we know that American Utopia has changed venues from its previously announced home at the Hudson and will now be playing at the nearly twice as large St. James <laughs> Theater following the run of Bruce Springsteen on Broadway. So what that means is we now have a handful of theaters that do not have any uh, anybody set officially to take over for them in the fall. Um, Ashley, I think you and I ran through some of these on Friday's episode, but I want to yeah. do it a little bit more of a someday. discussion someday and no one knows anymore. But here are the theaters <laughs> who are currently empty um, on Broadway. First off, the Broadway. The Broadway Theater um, has no official tenant yet. West Side Story was there when it shut down, and presumably, Ashley, you are very confident that that show is going to return this fall. Uh, If that happens, that will be there. Then we have Circle in the Square, which did not have a tenant when things shut down. Um, American Buffalo was supposed to go in there, but as we talked about earlier this week, I don't think that show's coming back anytime soon. Mm. From everything I understand, there is a show that played off broadway i believe at the beginning of 2020 and then did a streaming version with two people who are both stage and screen stars earlier this year there was a streaming version of that that is apparently going to be going into circle in the square this fall so if you want to follow those breadcrumbs and figure that out. Breadcrumbs actually is probably even more of a, uh, of a hint than you realize. Um, it's so into the
2: woods, guys. It's, it's into, into the woods. woods. Yes, yes. yes, exactly. All that exactly the bread. It.
1: Yes, and no. the baker oh, the No, <laughs> no not a, there. You got it, didn't you, Ashley? Um. So then there's the Barrymore, um, which is the rumored home of Waitress. We know mm-hmm. that Waitress closed in, I think, February or January or February of 2020, and then um, announced, kind of surprisingly, on their website just last month mm-hmm. that they would be coming back when Broadway has reopened. Yeah. Since then, we'll see is-
0: you in the fall. Is this yeah. what the yeah. language
1: was? And since then, the there's been crickets. Um, so I don't know if things have fallen through with the Weislers. It's the Weislers, so you never know what the hell's going on with them. But sure. from what I understood, the plan was to bring Waitress back to the to Broadway at the Barrymore, not where it originally mm-hmm. played, because uh, uh, Six is at the Brooks Atkinson currently. So, yeah. um, so that was the plan for that. Then we have the Hudson. I just assume that um, that American Utopia moving is because Matt and Sarah want to bring Plaza Suite in there. Finally getting it together. Yeah. yeah. Um, then we've got the Lyceum, where I know nothing. I have no idea what's going on there. Yeah. Um, We have The Marquee, which is still currently open. That's the last one Mm -hmm. um, on my list alphabetically. We know that... um, Nobody wants to take The Marquee. Yes, we know nobody wants to take The Marquee. It is cursed. (laughs) But Once Upon a (laughs) One More Time, the Britney Spears musical was supposed to play there, or or in the initial plans, it was going to do its out-of-town tryout in the summer of 2020 and then play there beginning in the fall. Um, We know now that Once Upon a One More Time has moved its out-of-town tryout to Washington, D.C., and it will happen later this year, beginning in November. Um, It will run through, I think, like early January, so they could go back and take over the marquee. At any point during um, the spring, if they want to. But that does not necessarily mean we know what's going to happen in the fall. If anything, probably nothing. I don't think anyone's going to move into the marquee for a limited run. Uh, yeah, unless so. uh, Unless there's a big star involved, Grace, which is actually your idea for what the marquee should be permanent yeah
2: like i i don't I, that that theater is as ashley and i were talking about earlier is located in a Daggum hotel i mean the eighth floor is where i go to cry and pee not right i'm still P's. gonna cry okay <laughs> <laughs> you don't take away my cry oh, corner yeah um but i have to say that i think that that theater is absolutely perfectly built for having these big institutional like bruce springsteen jimmy Dan buffett like any <laughs> anybody that's going to pack it out and then keep it because i think that that's that's helping keep that economy alive and it's keeping yeah. it away from taking over a theater that otherwise like an, a new show could go in you know so i think that that needs to be the future of that theater i'm not in charge nor do i have the funds to make that happen but i just want to say that that seems to be uh-huh, the smartest 100%. idea because I don't like the idea that Bruce Springsteen is going to the St. James. I think it's Neither. great that he's doing the show. <laughs> I think it's helpful. I'm not gonna poo-poo it, but I think that it should go somewhere else. I think it should go in
0: the market. It's it's such a hard theater to sell because it's in a hotel. So if you're putting yeah. like an actual you know putting a production, a play, a musical, whatever there you, you have to market it to death and mm-hmm. so you can't put any small show and it essentially has to be a giant flashy revival.
2: Do you remember and, Tootsie and, being there?
0: Ugh, I don't remember Tootsie. Well, I don't I will know tell her I, mean, I
2: didn't see it but I just want to <laughs> say that that brings that's your point though is that they yeah. had to bust their butt to like get people to figure out that it was there right and you would not have to do that if you had Gloria Estefan. Yeah. Like there. Yeah.
0: Like unless you're gonna have a big flashy revival there, you need to market it to death. And no big flashy revival is gonna wanna go into the marquee. Like no. it's the only like you you're right. I think the only way that you can really sell that theater is is that's where you dump your big celebrity performers into. And I feel like that would be a great idea because it's Mm -hmm. that's pretty much a sure bet. I mean, we have like the summer performances, like the summer series, what, two summers ago at this point at the Mm -hmm. front end. Yeah. Yeah. Gone. Um,
2: But that's that's how I feel about American Utopia. That should go there. That's not a musical. That's a concert. That is his concert. So, like, just put it there. That's fine.
1: Yeah, and, But, I mean, obviously, the difference between the St. James and the Marquis is the owner. Um, the St. James is owned by Jim <laughs> yeah. Jamson and who's a little uh, bit Marquees. more creative, the Marquis is owned by yeah. the Nederlanders. Mm. yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Uh, there, there are two shows that have announced their intentions to come to Broadway and are awaiting theaters. That's Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death and Romeo and Bernadette. There yeah. are... Tons of We've things got other too. That I mean,
0: Sing Street too, which was supposed yeah. to go into the Lyceum, oh, yeah, um, that's right. and is said like winter 2021, spring 2022, and we just haven't heard anything said. Well, so I don't sure. know. If-
1: but they their announcements have said at a Schubert Theater to be announced. They right, did right, not specifically exactly. say they were going back to the Lyceum.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then we had the minutes too, which which God also only knows. has said
1: the minutes has said that they are planning on coming back too. Where? Yeah. Don't know. They uh, no uh, They had been at the court, which is not possible now because the court right. is currently under renovation, so they can't go a, back there.
0: And that's a Schubert house as well, so I mm-hmm. would assume it would be another Schubert theater in that case. Yeah, and they could go into the Lyceum. what else is open?
1: Yeah, yeah. That, the Lyceum's smaller than the court, so... Um, you know, they th- that would make sense, I suppose, but there's a ton of other things that are really interesting that have been rumored to be coming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got things <laughs> like, uh, like, like K pop still circling, yeah. Um, we know that, um, Beetlejuice technically left Broadway, although it was still running when Broadway closed. Could it? magically appear at another venue if you say its name three times
2: i have to recuse myself
1: yeah, yeah i'm teasing <laughs> with knowing the answer uh there's a transfer from a show that recently played washington dc that i know is planning on coming up mm-hmm. to um to broadway and keeping yeah. its star but bringing in a major name to star opposite her um mm-hmm. there's a a a long rumored revival of American classic that is supposedly coming back with some pretty big stars. So I, we'll see. Then there's almost famous that is still out there as well. Oh my God. I forgot <sighs> about that. Yeah. I cannot
2: forget. I can't wait for that one.
1: Oh, really?
0: Did I'm you, did you see it? it but...
2: No, it's just one of my favorite movies. And I got to talk oh. to Cameron Crowe about it, like right before oh, they were going out. Oh, stop it. Um, but it was a, uh, David Crosby's, uh, film uh he anyways, long story short, um I can't wait for it and and I've known a lot of people that are attached to that project and say that it is being taken care of so conscientiously and it, it, they're exciting. gonna do the big song that people are like know that movie for. They had to fight to get the rights to do yeah, it because we've talked about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm excited because also Soleil is so Soleil incredible, is
1: amazing, and oh, I incredible.
2: want her to be a more household name like a Sutton Foster, as yeah, in yeah. like she's a star. And so I want more vehicles for women like her.
1: And how has she not been on Broadway yet? It kind of angers me the fact that she has not yet well, made I'll her tell Broadway you why. Well, <laughs> yeah. we'll do that off air, but yeah. Um, so lots of stuff coming. A handful of theaters still open. A lot of these things that are happening in the fall are open-ended runs, but there are some um, limited runs um, with things like uh, Carolina Change, Clyde's, um, Lackawanna Blues, things that will be closing in the fall or after the holidays that yeah. we will hopefully get some more announcements for the spring as well. But very exciting to be able to put my spreadsheet back together again and have all my <laughs> no. color-coded stuff.
0: Same. There. Same. Same. But- at it right now. All
1: right. Well, let's real quick dive into the other HBO original film. I guess In the Heights was not an HBO original film, but that's where you can watch it. Yeah. And that was the film adaptation of J.T. Rogers' play, Oslo which as it was at Lincoln Center and on Broadway um, directed by Bartlett Schur he also directed this film adaptation this one stars uh, Andrew Scott and Ruth Wilson as a uh, a Norwegian um, (laughs) husband and wife I'm not even going to pronounce um, Andrew Scott's character's name but um, Ruth Wilson's character's name is Mona and they through back channels basically arrange for what is now known as the Oslo Accords which was a peace treaty between the Palestine Liberation Organization and um, the Israeli state. Um, This actually happened back in 1993, and this film kind of chronicles the conversations that had leading up to this back-channel conversations, the negotiations that happened during Um, during this, I guess it was like a six- to eight-month period where they had some clandestine meetings uh, in Oslo. The film um, is obviously based on the stage play, which did win the Tony for um, Best Play, and is now produced for the screen by some folks you might have heard of, in addition to Rogers and Sure, Also, Mark Platt and Steven Spielberg are Mm -hmm. involved. (laughs) It is a... (laughs) You always got to throw in the little, uh, the little, uh, sides there, don't you, Grace? Uh, but it's available <laughs> on HBO Max. There's really not a ton of names that people will recognize in this other than Ruth Wilson and Andrew Scott. We do see, uh, Sassoon Gabai, who, um, originated the lead role in the film version of the band's visit and then replaced mm. Tony Shaloub, um, on Broadway and on tour. He plays the foreign minister of the state of Israel, uh, Shimon Peres. Um, but, uh, Grace, since you, I don't know what that was, chortled or or coughed Chortle. at the reference <laughs> to Mark Platt. Um what were your thoughts on on Oslo?
2: Okay, so it is a play that they did in New York. <laughs> and I love that for them. Um I you know, Jefferson Mays was talked about for like a straight up year for that yeah. show. And so I was pretty shocked yeah. to be frank that they did not um utilize that. Uh just because mm-hmm. like Oslo, you know, when people when people hear it, I assumed that they would be oh oh use Jefferson. Like literally that was like the get um of the play. And so I was so- shocked to see Andrew Scott, but then pleasantly surprised because famously nice. wow wow wow. Yeah
1: you oh, mentioned uh, you mentioned slow. season two of Fleabag already. So yeah. uh, that well, all that's tracks. Why, we
0: can't yeah. help it. We're we always can't. talking about season two of Fleabag. <laughs>
2: true honestly but i have to say like there was there was a scene particularly in the beginning because that's what i remember the most um the first like 20 minutes where he's having like this uh, across the table um meeting to kind of initially start these other meetings right and i'm watching him and he's like Also checking out other people in the scene that you can't see obviously during this conversation. And I'm like, I would watch him do anything like his performance is really great. I think that that's the reason that people should watch this if they didn't already know or if they weren't already familiar with the play. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that his performance was really great. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I learn, I had to Google a lot, which is good. You know, it's it's nice when you have to learn a thing. Um, that's, I guess, what I can. Okay,
1: <laughs> okay, I'll cut you off there so you don't uh, babble anymore without uh, saying that you didn't actually care for it. Ashley, what did you uh, think?
0: uh that all that okay uh i I mean is this our our straight off the cuff feelings or like extended
1: feelings about whatever you want talk just talk you don't have Uh, a lot of extended (laughs) feelings i don't think so go for it pick a
0: little talk a little ashley
1: gross hate it (laughs) uh
0: i found it so clumsy and dull that's that's where i'm at this is the thing the release of this is so timely so i I was really going into it, expecting it to feel as urgent as it should. And it just didn't. I mean, you know, the fall of their timing with this coming out with like recent uprisings of Israeli, Palestinian conflicts, again, obviously not planned. Um, But like I said, I, I found it just clumsy, not just as an adaptation, which I've, I haven't seen it on the stage. I've read it. You can still feel when an adaptation is a good transfer or not. I felt it was a clumsy film. I thought it looked pretty, and that's pretty much all I have about it. I thought it looked pretty. I thought Wilson and Scott. I mean, they're both beautiful actors. I, as Grace said, I will watch Andrew Scott do anything ever. Um, It's also shorter then i mean they made it into a movie it's a 3 hour yeah. play it's 144 pages on print and it's a 2 hour movie and somehow it managed to feel longer <laughs> it man- it felt like 5 hours to me with no sense of like the expansiveness you would expect from something that is 3 hours long on stage i got to say
1: i Completely disagree with both of you. I that's fine. I'm I fine did with not, that. What else as, is new? As,
0: yeah, as, I was gonna say.
1: <laughs> as Peter Felicia says, I would prefer that you enjoy it than agree with me. But um, sure, sure. I didn't love it. Like this, I'm not gonna say like this is like my favorite movie ever. But I thought no. it was really compelling. I thought the intrigue of even see, I I thought Andrew Scott and Ruth Wilson, who are both incredible actors, I kind of didn't think they did much. And I, I wasn't super interested in them, but I thought the. The negotiations I thought were incredibly compelling and, um, and very, inv- I
0: liked how it wrapped up. I like, I like maybe the last 20 minutes I was very compelled by.
1: Yeah. I thought all of those negotiations back and forth and the intricate details about what they were willing to give up and what they w- were adamantly not willing to move on without getting from the other side. I thought those were really interesting. And I thought the relationships that developed between the Israeli and PLO sides were, I thought that those were fascinating, and obviously this is all based on a true story, so I was um, much more taken by it than both of you were, but I Mm. also kind of felt like it was actually, in an odd way, a really good companion piece to In the Heights, because in obviously incredibly different ways, but Mm. in both they center on people who are fighting for their home and in the Heights, it's obviously these people who are in some ways seeing their neighborhood being taken over by gentrification and how important that neighborhood means to means to them. In that frame story that I mentioned earlier, Usnavi has the kids that he's telling the story to say Washington Heights at like the top of their lungs so that it doesn't go away or that they don't forget it or whatever that is. Um, but we hear so much about the PLO finance minister, um, Yossi Bylan, whose nickname sounds oddly like Abuela, um, his his nickname is. Um, oh, I don't. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna screw it up if I do that. I'm sorry. No, that's the wrong character. I I, I got that. Um, Uh, there we go. His name is Ahmed Curie and his nickname is Abu Allah. Um, and the way they say it a lot made me think it sounded like, uh, abuela of multiple times, but he talks about the fact that he hasn't seen his home since they were forced out by the Israelis, which was 40 years ago. And he's really just fighting for his home and you can see the passion there. So maybe it's because I had in the Heights on the brain, but I felt like there was a lot of connective tissue there, um, in the same DNA of caring about and fighting for their home, even though obviously the the stories and the people could not be more different.
0: Right. But, I, I mean, what I will say about that is that. In talking about it being kind of like a companion piece, the difference to me, I mean, obviously they're incredibly different movies, but if we're talking about them in the sense of companion movies, there is such an emphasis on the personal of this play and the actual true story, the connections to the people over the broad approach to diplomacy And I just didn't feel that connection. We're in the Heights. is such a personal movie where you feel connected to every aspect of it because that's what it's supposed to do. I found almost any attempts to establish human connection just to be empty and rushed. The only time I really felt any urgency, which you just said. And then also Ruth Wilson, when she's, You know, especially as she's telling, which you know, begging really both parties to sit back down and finish their negotiations Mm -hmm. after so many years of their children dying. And this is how this is their only hope. And I don't know if that's a consequence of like (laughs) trying to wrap up decades of conflict and horrors into, you know, either two hours or three hours if it's, you know film or stage respectively, or if it's like dumbing it down and dramatizing it for an audience or even more so an
1: American audience. But that's just kind of how it hit me. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of things in here that... Are unfortunately still very much a part of our discussion on this. Yeah. Almost, uh, you know, three decades later, the PLO finance minister, who I mentioned um, earlier, Abu Allah, says, which is his nickname. He says, "I've never met an Israeli face to face," and yeah. that's pretty emblematic of not just the Israeli and Palestinian, you know, conflict. Now, that's a like, you know, we see that today in so much of our discourse in America, where whether it's a, you know, racial things or, or, you know, people of different religions or faiths or national, whatever we have these hatreds and these preconceived notions for each other when we have no actual firsthand experience, we just listen to what other people say of sure. them. And that colors what we think they think and who they are. And that, and that's very destructive. And, you know, the thing, it was the last line that, you know, kind of in an epilogue that Ruth Wilson's Mona says, she says, if we do not sit across from our enemies and see them as human beings, then what will become of us? And unfortunately, over the past mm-hmm. five, six, seven years here in America, we have certainly seen that and probably much longer than that um we've seen that everything literally literally the whole history of america yeah Yeah. well yeah and especially though we've kind of just gotten rid of this pretense of wanting to work with people that we disagree with now it is strictly enemies and and that's really sad and i thought that this story um kind of encapsulated that really well and um you know, I, I, I get that I it's not the, for everybody, but yeah, yeah. Go
0: ahead. I think the play does. I think on the yeah, page because I haven't I, I didn't get a chance to see it when it was on stage. I wish I had because I would have liked to see how, you know, the tension of all that and the empty spaces of all that that you don't get when you just read it on paper. I I feel like it does it does that in the stage version. I didn't get that from the movie. And I don't know if that's cuts from it. I don't know if that's, you know, not opening up the space enough to allow that to happen. It just, it felt it felt rushed and also too long. And I don't That's know how good. they managed to do that.
1: Congrats, Bart. Uh, yeah. The one thing I will say, there was this really striking visual that never came back. But it was early in the film when Ruth Wilson's character is like walking to work or something. She's wearing this like bright yellow coat. And yeah, every, literally everybody else in the scene is wearing a black or like super dark gray coat. Um I thought that was really beautiful, but <laughs> that's, 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 what, that's what it looks moment.
0: like. That's what it looks like when I'm walking through the streets of New York. Yeah, exactly. And ah! and me and like a bright yellow coat. Okay? I-,
1: I was just, I was, <laughs> I was surprised that there wasn't more of that. Cause I thought that was really interesting and it was so obvious. Like I was like, that can't be a mistake, right. but it was literally the only yeah. time it happened. So anyway, um, Grace, Ashley, and I took over most of that conversation. Um, so I'm going to bring you back in here. I know you didn't, you didn't (laughs) want to do it. You don't have to, Matt. Yeah. Well, I'm going to bring you back in on the conversation because I want you to close out the show by talking about your Thursday night trip out to Radio Park in, uh, in Queens and talking about the Glimmer of Light concert. And you went out there to see this concert and, um, I'd love to hear what you thought of this very, very festive queer, pride event that has happened for the first time in person
2: yeah so uh, first of all getting a physical playbill which was the first playbill since oh, print of march 2020 was kind of crazy like physically i had it in my hand and i looked at it and i was like i can't and this. also I'm so excited. beautiful
0: because they've added like the trans flag to it yes oh, i was gorgeous. so
2: thankful you know like um Robbie Razzell started that whole, uh, Broadway, um,
1: playbill, uh, pride pride.
2: trend. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, we were so excited. Um, literally both of us were so excited to see this, uh, transition into, into the new one. It was fantastic. Uh, but this was primarily presented by the neon coven. I was, I was unclear. I thought that it was presented by playbill. It was in conjunction with playbill, but it was mainly the neon coven because I was, I was surprised by the fact that this was, this was a concert that will premiere, uh, June 24th, Um, they're going to stream it. It's going to be a whole live event thing because they had a great film crew covering the whole thing. So you're going to get like the best edits. You're going to get the best views of everything. Um, Even though I will say uh, Dorinda Medley's group of fan uh, friends were sitting directly in front of me and were standing drinking wine, talking during the show, which was killing me. They were the only people like distracting from the stage. It was cracking Uh up. I know it was just like, do you guys know why we're here? Like we're here to celebrate pride. Like,
0: and also just like, it's one of the first shows back in over a year. Yeah, like... But
2: these people have probably not been quarantining and, and mm. we were all so excited. Right. So, you know, everybody's I'm, I, I was seeing people that are like Twitter mutuals that I have never met in person. I was like, are you at so-and-so? And they're like, yeah. Uh, but it was, <laughs> it was a whole lot of fun. The music was the neon covens music, uh, like, Top to bottom, even though they were in conjunction with Lady Gaga's, um, oh, gosh, now I need to Born This Way Foundation And and Cadillac that was all presented by them. So I was expecting more Gaga music, perhaps there was just born this way, essentially. But the music we could not sing along to. We were just ingesting because there were these great performances on stage. There were incredible Vogue performances. There was, yes. uh, oh, gosh, like I was just so energized by the end of it. I was like, yeah, let's all go out. But I'm kidding because I walked 20 minutes from the train. So I'm going to go home. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the ra- radio park, this is not the second time that I've been uh, in the past like two weeks. It's far out
0: Queens resident Grace, who lives in Jersey.
2: I live in New (laughs) Jersey. Yeah. But it was that space I hope continues to get utilized by theatrical performances because it is absolutely beautiful. Like you go out there, you can drive up, you can, you can walk up, whatever, but it's like on the water and they've got this huge screen and they've got all these great Broadway ties that I'm like, this could be kind of great. Like year round is what I'm saying. Not just because we're in a pandemic still, you know what I mean? Like it it was just, but yeah, the performances were really excited. I was excited to see Alex Noel perform. Alex Noel was there, Amazing. but then did not perform. Oh no. Uh, yeah. It was very strange. Um, But <laughs> like there were some Marty Cummings, who's one of my favorite drag superstars slash friend um, mm-hmm. talked a lot about, Our you magician. know, th- yeah, exactly. They're, they're running for, um, City Council. City Council. And so uh, it was excited to see them kind of have that platform to not only talk about like queerness, but also like, you know, political justice that needs to happen, which like, let's not forget is the reason we have pride at all. Yes, so um, it was it was just a great event to uh, come back to theater, to come back to people, to come back to like celebrating pride in this communal way. And I'm so excited that all of you are going to get to see it when it's streamed uh, through Playbill. You're going to have to follow Glimmer of Light because uh, you're going to have a lot of fun at
1: now. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, you guys, we have crossed the not only the hour mark, but the one hour and twelve minute mark. Longer than yeah. we thought we would go. <laughs> Sorry.
0: So no, it is it no. is
1: Father's Day. Um, so we're going to let everybody go now. But thank you for listening to this week on Broadway with the TOB team taking over. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Ashley, where can people find you?
0: You can find me on Twitter and Instagram.
1: No, this is Ashley. Grace, and what about you?
0: You can follow me on its,
2: well, on Twitter and Instagram (laughs) at itsgraceaki.
1: And she's also the one manning all of Broadway Radio's social media. So if yeah. uh, you see anything, she simply
0: doesn't have enough to do.
1: No, no, she does Constantly not. None bored. of us do. Yep. Constantly Don't forget, <laughs> everybody, if you would like to support Broadway Radio, get all of our content before you can hear it anywhere else. Head over to Patreon.com/slash/BroadwayRadio. Um, This is kind of a line of demarcation for us here as Mm -hmm. the Today on Broadway team takes over this week on Broadway. We're going to be continuing to do some review roundtables moving forward, but they might have more of a life over on Mm. Patreon um, than anywhere else. We kind of set this as a line as we took over for some changes in programming so stay tuned for information about that and definitely make sure you head over to com slash Patreon. Alright everybody, have a wonderful rest of your Sunday, have a wonderful Father's Day for all of the fathers out there, father figures, whether they are actual fathers or not, all of the mothers who are doing it all. Yeah. Um, we love you, we thank you for the support, not only for your kids but for listening here on Broadway Radio. Have a great rest of your weekend and Ashley and I will be back to talk to you on Today on Broadway on Monday.